Welcome to Hakol Radio's Top 3 segment, where we discuss the top three news stories of the day. Hakol Radio, powered by the Muncie Mavasser and broadcasting live from Schlerko Studios in Muncie, New York. Number 1 Sergeant First Class in the Reserves of Conor Newlander from Efrat, a combat medic in the 99th Division, was announced to have been killed at Khmanalitzlan while fighting in the Gaza Strip. He is the 186th IDF soldier to be killed in the ground offensive against Hamas. Israel's military is currently investigating a blast in Burej that resulted in the death of six engineers working on the demolition of a Hamas tunnel. The explosion occurred prematurely triggered by a nearby tank firing at suspicious movement about half an hour before the planned demolition. The detonating cord was activated due to the tank shelling, leading to the unexpected explosion while engineers were still preparing the tunnel for demolition. The IDF reported the killing of Ali Hussein Burji, a regional commander of Hezbollah's Air Force. While Hezbollah acknowledged Burji's death, they denied his role as head of their Air Force or drone program. U.S. defense officials have reported that the U.S. Navy intercepted and shot down 24 Houthi missiles and drones launched from Yemen. The response comes after one of the largest Houthi attacks in the Red Sea in recent months. Initial assessments indicate that there were no damage there was no damage to ships and no injuries resulting from the drone and missile launch. Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia remains interested in pursuing a normalization deal with Israel after the conclusion of its conflict with Hamas in Gaza. According to Prince Khalid bin Bandar, the Saudi ambassador to the UK, stating in a BBC radio interview that Riyadh is open to establishing ties with Israel, provided it is part of an overall two-state solution. An Israeli delegation arrived in Cairo in an effort to revive hostage talks. This is coming from Egyptian officials. As Secretary of State Anthony Blinken held meetings in Israel aimed at preventing the war in Gaza from escalating into a regional conflict. The Israeli delegation reached the Egyptian capital late on Monday, January 8th, weeks after hostages, weeks after hostage negotiations had come to a standstill. The renewed talks led by Egyptian mediators were aimed at freeing hostages still held in Gaza in exchange for a prolonged ceasefire. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's visit to Israel, part of a Middle East tour, came as tensions between Israel and Lebanon's Hezbollah group were growing. During a meeting with Netanyahu on Tuesday, January 9th, Blinken stressed the importance of avoiding further civilian harm and protecting civilian infrastructure in Gaza. He reiterated the need to ensure lasting, sustainable peace for Israel and the region, including the realization of a Palestinian state, said State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller. The Secretary of State also met on Tuesday with Israeli President Isaac Yitzhak Herzog, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, and other senior Israeli officials. Lincoln had already made stops in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey, and other countries. Quote, everywhere I went, I found leaders determined to prevent the conflict that we are seeing now from spreading doing everything possible to deter escalation, Blinken said on Monday night as he prepared to leave Saudi Arabia for Israel. Blinken also met relatives of Israeli hostages kidnapped on October 7th and still held in Gaza, vowing to work relentlessly toward their release. Outside the building where he met Herzog, demonstrators with signs and a drum chanted, Bring them home now. Number 2 
The Peregrine Lunar Lander is a robotic spacecraft designed by the U.S.-based lunar logistics company Astrobotic. Loaded onto a rocket and blasted into space, it is designed to deliver payloads to the surface of the moon or the moon's orbit. Its first mission, Peregrine Mission 1, launched on Monday, January 8th and was intended to deliver scientific equipment to specific regions on the moon. Some of these instruments are designed to take readings that can minimize risks and lay some of the groundwork for NASA's Artemis program, which hopes to enable the sustained human presence on the moon. Also on the land are instruments and equipment from the Mexican and German space agencies, as well as universities, companies, and individuals in the UK and elsewhere. These include a physical coin, quote, loaded with one Bitcoin, and a Japanese, quote, lunar dream capsule that contains 185,872 messages from children from around the world. But what went wrong? Peregrine successfully lifted off on a Vulcan Centaur rocket, a new type of methane-fueled rocket from the Cape Canaveral Space Station in Florida at 2.18 a.m. on Monday, January 8th, approximately 50 minutes after launch and at an altitude of 311 miles above the Earth, the lander separated from the rocket and continued on its journey. The first sign of trouble came about seven hours after launch when the spacecraft was unable to reorient its solar panels to point at the sun so its batteries could charge. The ground-based engineering team eventually managed to turn them only for further problems to develop. First, Astrobotic reported that it considered the root of the problem to be a failure within the vehicle's propulsion system. Then it said this failure was causing a critical loss of propellant. Given the situation, quote, we have prioritized maximizing the science and data we can capture, the company said. Soon afterwards, Astrobotic shared the first image of the Peregrine lander in space, showing that its outer layers of insulation were crinkled. On Monday evening, the company announced that the fuel leak was causing the thrusters of Peregrine's altitude system designed to precisely align the lander to operate well beyond their expected service life cycles to keep the lander from an uncontrollable tumble was failing. Based on current fuel's consumption, it said the thrusters were only likely to continue operating for 40 more hours at most. Peregrine was scheduled to land on the moon on February 23, 2024, and, and even if it got there, the 1.2 metric ton spacecraft would need to reorient its engine to fire in controlled bursts during its descent. Achieving this looks increasingly unlikely. In a statement posted on the social media platform X at 9.16 p.m., on Monday, January 8th, Astrobotic said, quote, At this time, the goal is to get Peregrine as close to lunar distance as we can before it loses the ability to maintain its sun-pointing position and subsequently loses power. Assuming the mission is abandoned, Peregrine will become another piece of debris floating in space. It will also be a floating coffin, as among its contents are capsules containing DNA samples or portions of cremated remains from former U.S. presidents the science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke and others whose families have paid to land their remains on the moon. While propulsion and power systems limitations may preclude a lunar landing, the spacecraft's robust scientific instruments and fully charged battery combined with limited propulsion open doors to valuable alternate goals, said Dr. Minkwen Kim at the University of Southampton. With the exception of propulsion, all onboard systems can be rigorously tested against the harsh realities of space, extreme temperatures, and intense radiation. This real environment test 
will provide crucial insights into system, resilience, and readiness for future lunar missions. Peregrine Mission 1 may well become the third failed attempt by a private company to land on the moon after the Bereshit lander and the Hakuda-R lander crashed into the lunar surface in 2019 and 2023, respectively, but many others are planned. NASA alone has multiple moon missions involving private spacecraft scheduled between now and 2026 and has emphasized that each mission is a high-risk, high-reward proposition. Private and public collaborations unlock new avenues for innovation, often at a faster pace than traditional space agencies alone. Every challenge presents an opportunity to learn and refine our approach, making the next attempt even more likely to succeed. Number three. Millions of U.S. households will lose discounts on their internet bills in the coming months if Congress does not act to extend an affordable internet program. The FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, says it will begin winding down the Affordable Connectivity Program this week if it cannot secure more funding from Congress. Launched at the end of 2021, the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program, allowed some 23 million low-income households to receive discounts on their internet bills of up to $30 a month or up to $75 a month on qualifying tribal lands. The FCC said the $14.2 billion that Congress appropriated for the program will run out in April. The program, which the FCC calls the country's largest internet affordability program ever, will be shut down unless funding is renewed. FCC Chair Jessica Rosenworcel sent letters dated Monday January 8th to congressional leaders seeking $6 billion to continue the program through the end of 2024. Absent additional funding, she said, we could lose the significant progress this program has made toward closing the digital divide. Yet we have come too far with the ACP to turn back. Senator Maria Cantwell, the Democrat from Washington, chair of the Senate Commerce Committee, and a recipient of one of the letters said in a statement that 330,000 people in Washington state rely on the ACP for their internet access and that she would, quote, support any presidential request to provide additional funding for this program. The ACP originated as a short-term pandemic measure to ease economic pain by providing low-income households with up to $50 in monthly discounts on their internet bills. As workplaces switched to Zoom meetings and as schools began remote classes, having reliable internet access became increasingly crucial and the program aimed to help close the digital divide. The Biden administration has made universal access to high-speed internet by 2030 one of its policy priorities, with a range of measures aimed at ensuring that households in remote areas can have affordable service and that users are not discriminated against by income level. Biden has likened it to the government's efforts in the 1930s to bring electricity to the entire nation, calling internet access a necessity for modern work and life. The program dubbed the Emergency Broadband Benefit was popular with users, but not without controversy. A Washington Post investigation found that internet service providers unleashed price increases, service cuts, and sometimes fraud as they scrambled for EBB subsidies. When the EBB ended in 2021, it was replaced by the ACP, which offered similar but smaller discounts to eligible households. The FCC said rural households and had a higher enrollment rate under the ACP, though both urban and rural users are eligible. A household is eligible for the ACP if it's at, if it's at or below 200% of the federal poverty guidelines, about $60,000 for a family of four, or if it meets another other criteria, such as a member participating in certain government assistance programs. 
like the SNAP program, Medicaid, federal housing assistance for the National School Lunch, Lunch Program. Separate from the ACP, the Biden administration in June announced more than $42 billion in new funding to expand high-speed internet access nationwide. About 7% of the country still does not have broadband internet service that meets the government's minimal standards, according to the federal estimates. Thanks for tuning in to the Top 3 segment live on Hako Radio, and have a great day.